0: Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 249. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, at long last, also a Marvel Snap approach. I have been waiting for an excuse to bring this onto the podcast for a long time. I am sure that people within my community are sick of me talking about this. But man, today, it is a pleasure to be joined by who I believe to be the best Marvel Snap player in the world, Wesley Seek, also probably better known as Lambie Series. Lambie, how's it going,
1: man? Yo, Steve, it's going great. I'm super excited to be doing this. Spoilers, I used to do sports as well. So, and I think there's a lot of transferable skill sets from like competitive card games and sports. So, yeah, very excited to be here, very excited to just have a chill discussion with you about anything, I would say, competitive.
0: You know, there's this guy in the Jiu Jitsu community named Joseph Chen. He's a pretty well known Jiu Jitsu uh-huh. competitor. And He came on our podcast and talked a lot about how he studied competitive esports and used that as the basis for a lot of his thinking when it comes to jujitsu. And one of the things we've always explored on this podcast is the intersections between different careers, different disciplines and pursuits and trying to bring in the best lessons from all of these different places. Because I really believe that competitive strategy is kind of universal. You know, if you want to know how to compete well, a lot of those lessons are transferable. And I am just so into the idea of strategy games like Marvel Snap. But before we maybe go into that, why don't you give yourself a quick intro? Just tell everyone who you are and where they might know you from or where maybe they should
1: know you from. I did mention a bit that I did sports. So I used to do tennis in like a varsity level. Not not the best, just on the team. But yeah, I did sports. And then actually even before that, I've been playing card games for almost my whole life. For like about 19 years now, I've been in card games. I started in Yu-Gi-Oh!. Maybe I was a child prodigy or something, but when I was 12, I got my first top eight at nationals. And then when I was 18, I went to the world championship for Yu-Gi-Oh! So I knew I like had a thing when it came to card games. Then when it came to half stone, which is what a lot of people used to know me for as well. It was my first foray into like actual like eSports. I did that for like three to five. About four to five years, yeah. Half stone competitively. I got to almost the world level as well. I was playing at the highest level. For that game for like two years. It was an actual career, an actual job for me. So I think competing in Hearthstone really opened my eyes to how competing can be a career. And it wasn't easy, but I learned a lot from it. And then we moved on to now Marble Snap. It's slightly more casual than like Yu Gi Oh!, physical sports, Hearthstone. But I can safely say that like the skills that I've learned from all my past experiences competing helped me immediately get to the top of Marvel Snap with not much difficulty, and I think Marvel Snap is one of the few card games that I've played like in recent years, like in recent memory, that has a super low barrier to entry. Like it's great for the casual players. The Marvel IP is also great, but when it comes to skill level at the top, it's also a super high skill skill ceiling um, game because a lot of thought goes into making your decisions. And yeah, the game is really good to compete in. And I feel like in general, card games, the skill sets are very transferable. And I am very excited to share more in time.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And just in case anyone is listening to this and asking the obvious question, which is, what the hell is Marvel Snap? Um, I can maybe try to explain that a little bit for people who aren't familiar. So, I'd say about a year ago, Marvel Snap was officially launched. Basically what it is, it's a tremendously popular competitive card game. Um, It's fully digital. The best thing that I can equate it to for someone who hasn't played it before, you tell me if this is a bad analogy, Lambie, but it, it reminds me a lot of poker because the game itself is fundamentally not super complex, although it is much more complex than poker. But the actual game, it's not as complex as a lot of the crazy games you're going to see out there. But it's really all about knowing what your odds are, knowing how to read your opponent, knowing when to bet, when to bluff, when to ante up, when to fold. That's really the crux of the game. And that's kind of, I think, where the strategic element really unlocks is when you realize it's not just about playing this one game and winning. It's about playing perhaps an entire series of games and learning to read your opponent and to bluff them and to beat them strategically. Is that a a fair
1: say that it's kind of like a modern digital poker? The funny thing is that you hit the nail exactly on the head. Like to me, this game is literally marble poker. I mean, like at the highest level, it quite literally is just marble poker, which is like I say it's low barrier to entry because like the, the core gameplay of the game as you mentioned as well is like super easy to pick up. The games are also very fast. It takes like two minutes for a game. But like at the highest level, it's not even anything to do. Like I feel like it's like literally almost nothing to do with like playing the cards. It's playing your opponent. Um because in, in poker like Marvel's like because I play a bit of poker casually as well. It's about like raising, folding, knowing what are your odds, risk management, knowing when you're beat, knowing when your opponent is bluffing, knowing when they are weak knowing when you are stronger than them all these little things and decision-making processes how you come on top in marvel snap and you notice that like when i've described that whole list none of it is actually talking a single thing about a single marvel snap card because the highest level has nothing to do with the cards it's all about playing the player and that is exactly what i wanted to talk to you about um i love
0: this game because for me it fits into my life perfectly It's a game that you can bang out in two to three minutes here or there, which, Uh you know, as I'm 40 plus, I'm the father of a kid. I've got to juggle a job plus this podcast and all of the stuff I do on the side. So for me, the ability to just do something competitively in two to three minute chunks, it has actually kind of allowed me to flex that muscle that I haven't really had the time to flex in a long time. And it's really. Reinvigorated my love for strategic and competitive thinking. And if you're not familiar with Marvel Snap, again, as of this time, I believe it is the number one ranked uh, collectible card game in the App Store. It's pretty easy, pretty popular to find. I definitely recommend. That everyone try it out. I've just absolutely fallen in love with the thing. Uh, my understanding at the moment, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is I know there's not a general global ranking, but you're generally considered the best snap player in the world at the moment, correct?
1: Yeah. So, this game, firstly, touching on that point where you mentioned it's like a great game to pick up, it's for, it's because two things, right? So, firstly, uh, most people love Marvel. And secondly, like you said, two minute games. And two minute games are very convenient. Like, you can be walking to lunch from your like job and then you finish a game right that's super convenient and yes obviously generally i would be the most well known competitive marvel snap player in the world right now and some would even say the best because like um price money wise i've won a lot probably as of time of uh, recording this it's the second highest i was actually the highest price money earner in this game up till like three days ago but uh, yeah no it uh, doesn't overtook me was uh, my friend as well so that was great but yeah i think when it comes to sharing competitive knowledge on like my streams my twitter and also like meta-defining decks like creating like the meta of Marvel Snap. I think I'm like second to none currently and in terms of player ability I've won my fair share of tournaments as well so in a game that has variants it's very hard to strictly determine who is like the best of the best because on any given day sometimes RNG or like a variance can just like make your life a little bit difficult because it's a card game right there are card draws and stuff like that but overall I would say in terms of success and win rate I'm like completely up there. Nice, nice.
0: Yeah, and something that you had have been talking about a lot recently, which I'd love to explore here is I've heard you say many times that you believe in creating luck and mm-hmm. you believe that you can create luck for yourself. People will often complain, especially in a game like this where there's a factor of chance. They'll often complain that they're lucky or unlucky or they had bad luck. And I've heard you reject that and say that you believe you can create luck. I would love to hear you expand on what that means because I suspect that's relevant in our sport too.
1: Right. So creating luck is very interesting because you can't actually like physically manifest like an aura, like, you know, in Dragon Ball that like, you have like aura or whatever. <laughs> like, no, no, you you don't create an aura of luckiness. That doesn't work. But like, I use the term creating luck firstly because it's nice to say. And secondly, what creating luck just means in uh, layman terms is like, you put yourself in positions to get lucky. Uh, how this works is like okay, I'm gonna use like firstly a very specific card game analogy. Like, let's just say you need to draw a certain card from your deck to win the game. So you need to know if it's even possible to to draw that card, right? So what are the odds? Five cards left in your deck. One card that you need to draw out of five cards. What is one out of five? Twenty percent. So creating luck in this in this sense is like knowing you have a twenty percent alter here. So it's twenty percent alter good enough to win stuff like that you need to ask yourself these questions so like more on creating luck which is like long story short you really need to put yourself in positions to get lucky let's use a real life example as well like someone who's trying to find a job right in real life like he just got out of university he wants to get employed he complains that he cannot get a job my thought to that is that are you sending out enough resumes are you putting yourself in positions to be noticed. If you're not putting yourself in positions to be noticed, you've only sent like 10 resumes when you could be sending 50. Like, are you really putting yourself in enough positions to get lucky to get the big break? So, back to card games again. This just basically means that if you are not putting yourself in enough winning positions, like you look at your opponent, he's you are you are sensing weakness from your opponent, but you don't push, you don't push the pressure, you don't apply the pressure. You give him time to draw more cards and get back at you. So, That's not really being unlucky that he actually got back at you. It's because you didn't realize that you gave him extra time to get back at you. So long story short, creating luck is not actually really creating luck. It's actually putting yourself in positions to uh, benefit from potentially getting fortunate. Now, how do you find those positions?
0: Because in the example you brought up in a card game, you can learn to count cards. You can learn to mm-hmm. remember. You can get to the point where you can say, you know, Marvel Snap, is an example, small card game, you get 12 cards in a deck. So you can count the cards. You can quite easily remember. Mm-hmm. There's three cards left that I haven't drawn. So there is a one in three chance that I'm going to get this card I want. In real life, like you said, sometimes those factors are obscured to you. So in the case of a job interview, for example, you might not always know how many other people apply to the job. So sometimes the odds are kind of hidden from you do you have any thoughts on how to, how to, so to speak, play the game of life or any sort of competitive game when maybe you don't have that information? Is there a way to to glean it or to guess at it that people should know about?
1: Right. So firstly, I believe that to succeed, I'm not like the most successful person ever, but I know how to be, which is that like firstly, firstly you you got to accept that like some things come slower to people than others. Like some other people get their big breaks like before you, but okay, no, that's not the point here. The point here is that I use this analogy a lot when I stream and when I compete, I tell my viewers about this thing called the 50 Fifty-one forty-nine. it's not an actual term, but like I call it a fifty-one forty-nine because like in card games, there are a lot of situations where you need to take 50s, which is like you either do A or B and if you guess correctly, whether it's A or B, you win. But 51-49s are basically making such decisions based on tendencies, which is like if you spend enough time like reading your opponent, playing your opponent, understanding what are common stereotypical tendencies that people do I don't know if this is uh, completely relevant to like sports or whatever but I think it might be because I use tennis right I play tennis like if you play a match of tennis if you know your opponent traditionally likes to hit the ball to your backhand like most of the time so you kind of just know that like they like to do that and these tendencies can be exploited so to put yourself in positions where you have like a better chance of like getting lucky you need to exploit tendencies And also a bit of it to do with intuition, like experience over years, over the years, over time, like you just know people love to do things a certain way. So when it comes down to those 50-50 scenarios and 50-50 scenarios plus you kind of know people like to do things in a certain way, it's actually not so much 50-50. It's a bit like 51-49 basically. There's a 1% more chance that they are likely to do it in a specific way. And you tailor your decisions based on the fact that it's more likely for them to do it in a certain way, despite it looking very 50-50.
0: Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. That's actually something that comes up in the martial arts a lot. Um, In the case of jujitsu, for example, one of the things that we always tell people is you want to try to maneuver your opponent into mm-hmm. a position where their movements become predictable. Yes. So as an example, I mean, I know this is a new sport to you, but if you're standing in front of me and it's just a completely neutral fight, anything could happen, right? I have absolutely no idea what you're going to do. But if I'm able to get you into a position where, for example, I'm sitting on top of you and your back is against the floor, I'm on top of you, you can't move. Suddenly your responses get way more predictable and it becomes easier for me to read the situation and know what I need to do next, which is the reason why, I mean, if you watch MMA or uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The whole game is trying to advance and improve your position. And part of the reason you do that is because it makes your opponent's movements more predictable. So I've always said that for beginners, they're often laser focused on, okay, how do I do this technique? How do I do this thing? And then eventually you learn it, but then you go up against someone who's good and you do the thing perfectly. And it still doesn't work because they're good at it. They know what they're doing. And so then the game evolves and it becomes not just how can I do this thing, but How can I predict what my opponent is going to do so I can actually make the thing work? And I think that's what you're saying here.
1: Yeah, this is uh, exactly what I'm saying because like at the end of the day, okay, so I mentioned earlier a little bit about like at the base level of Snap, you just need to learn how to play the game, right? Like play the cards. I guess that's very akin and similar to like your technique when it comes to sports or martial arts or whatever. Like you learn the base level techniques, you execute them, you practice them. But at the highest level, because everybody knows how to execute them. The one that has the edge is the one that knows how to maneuver you into a position, like you said, whereby your options are limited. Like in car games as well, when I play Marvel snap, a lot of the time, I feel like both myself and my opponent might know exactly what the other is supposed to do. But I'm the one that knows how to put them in a position where instead of them having five options, they probably only have two. And then when they have two options, then we pull out the 5149 rule and like work on their tendencies and make the best informed choice. When we're playing a game like Snap or
0: Poker, it's not just about, did I win this round or did I lose this round? But it's also about trying to maneuver your opponent into a situation where they think they're going to win. But in fact, you know that you're going to win. And so you're trying to get them to go all in on something that isn't going to work. Um, an example that you gave, I just heard it actually today on the drive home from work. I was listening to an interview with you where you talked about how one of the things that you've observed in Snap is... When people snap, which for those who don't play the game, basically this is the equivalent of in poker, meaning if someone anties up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If people snap, which is they basically raise the stakes, but then they stall or they hesitate before they commit to a move. You've learned to read that situation as they kind of impulsively maybe antied up, but then they regretted it because they realized they weren't sure what to do. And that's kind of a really interesting human behavior insight that I think most people don't even think about. Um and that's one of the reasons I love listening to you talk is because you talk so much about reading an opponent like that and understanding how their little tells can give you insight into their behavior. How do you recognize that stuff? Because as you know, as a as a non-world class card player or or competitor, I always hear people talk about how they read their opponent and it's like it's a mystery to me how do you even recognize these patterns in the first place
1: okay so I'll be completely frank about this right I don't know when I started doing this but I've been doing this like for a long time like I'm gonna give you a very simple example so like when I used to play physical card games when people have like a decision they want to make like an actual decision that they want to make right they tend to it's impossible for them to make a snap decision like they will have to think and like the longer they think the more I also can define like, all right, what are they thinking about based on the current situation on the board? Like, based on the current situation we are in right now, like, what are the possibilities that he's thinking about? Because we're all human, right? Like, it's impossible to make, like, concise and accurate decisions when there's, like, such a complicated game state right in front of you. So, like, their thinking time is something that I used to always take note of as well as uh, reaction time as well. Like, you mentioned the example that you listened to me talk about in another podcast before, which is the if they instantaneously snap or raise the stakes um the moment the turn begins, I just like somehow realized that these people have a good hand, but they are impulsive. They haven't even decided what to do, what actions they want to make, but they instinctively know that their hand is good. So they raise the stick. So this kind of scenarios like gives me like the mental ability to decide that, all right, their hand is really, very strong. I think I'm gonna fold. I think I'm gonna retreat. So little, little things like that uh that I pick up on that have helped me get the better of my opponents. But of course, having said that, a lot of these things not always going to work. It's just like little, little tells that I pick up that help me to make a bit slightly more informed choices.
0: I can give a relevant example from the martial arts here. So I remember when I was a white belt and I was just starting out, I was sparring with this more seasoned guy who'd been training for years and years and years. And he gave me some advice. Um, as we were standing up and I grabbed him, um, he told me, Steve, you have to relax because I can tell you're afraid and you don't have confidence. And I remember thinking, whatever, Obi-Wan, you can't read minds. Sure, sure. You don't know me. And you know, 15 years later, now I'm training and I give the same advice to people if I have to spar with a new person and they come up to me and they grab me, right? Because a big part of jujitsu is you're using the person's fabric against them on their their kimono. So if someone comes up and they try to grab me and I feel that they're tense, I know a few things right away. Number one, I know that they're not super experienced because experienced grapplers are never going to be tense. And number two, I know that they are afraid. I know that they're tense because they don't have confidence in their ability to execute a move that's why they're tense is that fight or flight response and i know it and they know it and they know that i know it and so i'm already at a massive advantage so i learned a long time ago that man if you're grappling with someone and they come up and they grab you and they're super tense it's too late i've already won because i already know exactly how confident you are in your own game and i know you can't beat me if you can't even believe in yourself so i think that's a similar thing to what you're talking about there's these little tells but you know, maybe give some examples here. I would love to just give some illustrations to people, but how do you, what are some examples of just reads that you've had where you've been able to read someone maybe even better than they
1: were able to read themselves? I actually agree with everything you said regarding the tells and like the the other examples that you give. Because for me, I think a lot of how and why I'm able to do this is because of my actual experience playing card games. Like I've sat across the table from so many people before. I have Played so many rounds of Hearthstone, so many rounds of snap. Like, I just know when people are, like you said, not confident or aggressive or impulsive. But if we want specific examples, the first one that I can give you is like what we mentioned previously. They instantaneously just, uh, I don't want to use too much terminology, but they instantaneously raise the stakes. You know their hand is good because like when everyone looks at a good hand, their mind straight away tells them, okay, this is good. But those that actually physically acted out are the ones that can't really control their emotions because like if you have a good hand, you're not supposed to show me you have a good hand. You're supposed to make me take the bait and fall for the fact that I thought you didn't have a good hand. So the people that impulsively just raise the stakes always give me the idea that don't know how to conceal their emotions. And also another thing to talk about is when you are in a position of lost so in marvel step there is this thing whereby it's 10 health versus 10 health and the goal is to deplete each player's health down to zero for lack of a better explanation usually how this works is that if you are lost at the start so let's say i have only six health left or four health left and my opponent still has 10 health they, they get they relax they, they, they subconsciously just relax and they might play a bit more conservative because they are like oh i'm already a hit I don't have to push this advantage but good players will capitalize on the fact that their opponents are not pushing the advantage and try to like come back so and one thing funny is that when you actually come back it's like in a match right like let's say once again in a tennis match like if you down really down and you suddenly win the set from a down position same thing from 4 health opponent at 10 health i suddenly bring it back to like a i'm 4 health you are also 4 health situation the person that was initially ahead will feel a lot of pressure They'll feel very stressed. They'll feel very like, where, where did my lead go? I expected to win by now. And uh, because I guess they didn't expect to be in a position where it's very neutral right now, they are actually losing in terms of momentum and tempo. Like if I, the fact that I came back from a position of uh, difficulty puts me in the, the driver's seat. I have more tempo, I have more momentum. And if I know this, I can push the advantage and stress them out, make them sweat. Now, how do you play differently? When you are at that massive
0: disadvantage, because I've seen you do this, I've seen you be down like, you know, eight to nothing. And then you came back and won. And this is very applicable to jujitsu. Jujitsu is a very much a point scoring game. In a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to actually get a submission on someone who's really good. So a lot of the time at the high levels, it comes down to who is more dominant positionally. And what often happens is. If we start a jujitsu match and right out of the gate, I just have a bad first 20 seconds, you know, maybe you take me down and then you sit on top of me, I can wind up at a point deficit that feels like it's impossible to overcome. Do you play differently or do anything different when you're running at a disadvantage like that? Or is part of
1: your strategy to just stay cool and be consistent no matter what? It's a few things. I'm going to try my best not to talk about Marvel snap specific ways of winning. I'm just going to talk about winning from a bad position in general which is i feel like when you are down like you say the first 20 seconds and you get a bad start and you drop like a lot of like points or health or whatever i think you need to firstly remember and this is something that i learned over time like it's easy to say not easy to do which is the game is actually not over because sometimes you feel like if you get a bad start it's just over it's done it's impossible but the moment you think that and let it manifest you really just lose. So I think one thing that I've trained myself to do over time is that even though I'm in a bad position, I remind myself that like bad odds are not zero. It's just bad, but it's not done. So I constantly remind myself to focus on trying to win first. Like It's easier said than done, but like the literal thing that I have in my head every time I'm down is like, alright, how do I win this next game? How do I win this next game? How do I win this next game? I try my best to block out all th- all thoughts of oh no i have lost you know these kind of things is really from a position of like deficit when you're really down it's really not about physically like playing better at a point in time it's more about getting your mind in a position whereby because like you've done the prep work you've done the practice you know you're a good player but the only thing that's stopping you from actually coming back is your mind telling you you've lost so i always try to tell myself that this is not over yet and One thing that I, when it comes to like actual like playing my cards that I do, that has helped me win from a losing position is a bit about risk management. Because I know that like if I'm already very down, I have to take absurd risk. I don't know if this applies to like martial arts or whatever, but like I tend to be very good at looking and figuring out what are the most absurd things I can do to hopefully win. Because like if you play safe, your opponent's just gonna gradually whittle you down. So I'm literally saying that like I would think of all the ways and plays and patterns and and things that I can do that if my opponent falls for it, I can come back. Like whether they actually fall for it or like get caught in my trap, I don't know. But like I can identify that they have to get caught in this trap. And what is this trap I need to set up that they have to get caught in. Whether it works or not is sadly not really within my control. But I know how to set up a trap for them to hopefully fall into for me to flip the situation and i'm quite good at doing that
0: that absolutely is a concept uh, at least in brazilian jiu-jitsu as well Um, brazilian jiu-jitsu matches are generally not that long a competitive match often is going to run five to ten minutes depending Mm -hmm. on your experience level and so often you don't have the time to do everything you want to do the clock is just as much your enemy as your opponent So if you're down on points and you've got 60 seconds left, you might have to do crazy things (laughs) that that you wouldn't normally do if the clock weren't a factor, right? Because that idea of a Hail Mary is very applicable. Mm -hmm. And I like what you're talking about, how you're saying that you might go for the unorthodox, the crazy, the unusual in those situations, because in a neutral match, that's maybe not a great idea. But when you're coming from a deficit, that might be your best way to catch your opponent off guards. And the odds might actually be better to do something crazy like that at that point.
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, one thing that I realize a lot of players, competitors are not doing enough, even at like a high level where I've played before, which is they stick to their textbook very often because the textbook works. But the thing is, the textbook doesn't work if you have to make, I mean, like the textbook plays work, but like I feel like at the end of the day, a lot of the winning from a bad position is about just doing what you can do best and hope your opponent falls into your trap because if you're playing your normal game like you said you don't have time right the clock's gonna run out so you need to make plays that potentially can work and like fast forward your progress because if it doesn't work you're gonna lose anyway like i always talk about this on my stream which is like all right i have no ability to retreat anymore i have not much health left i can't really do much in this situation but for me to even have a chance of winning they need to do exactly what i need them to do and for them to do that i need to set up So hopefully they do exactly what I need them to do and I come out on top. That is something
0: that I love about your thinking. I've heard you talk before about understanding whether you're in an advantaged match or a disadvantaged match, uh, meaning whether the odds are in your favor or not. The example I heard you talk about was... If you know what kind of game you're playing, if you know, so in the case of a card game, if you know what cards you've got in your deck and you know what cards your opponent has in their deck, to some extent, competitive card games like that can be a bit of a game of rock, paper, scissors, that you might just be in a bad matchup where their style, so to speak, their choices and the game that they're playing just has a natural advantage over yours. And if you know that just on average, someone playing that style is going to beat your style seven times out of 10 you should know that and that should impact and inform how you play rather than you just going in and just kind of doing what you would normally do. And the same is very much the case in jujitsu. I mean, in the martial arts, there is this saying that styles make fights. And the idea is that, you know, it is possible that you could be an amazing grappler, but sometimes there's one person who just man, they just got your number, right? Just the way Mm -hmm. that they do things, it just, it shuts you down and it makes things very effective for them. And that's when I think pulling a rabbit out of the hat, doing something unexpected makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you know, if I have to go in there, for example, and I've got to compete against the best grappler in the world, and I know that, look, no matter what I do, 99 times out of a hundred, they're going to beat me. That is absolutely going to change my strategy. I am not going to go in and just do what I always do. Because I know the other person has a natural advantage. So the strategy for me then becomes, what can I do that they won't expect? What can I do? Where can I find a hole in their armor? Something that they won't see coming. Not the best strategy most of the time, but again, when you're outgunned, it can be a very good way to think.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Like a lot of my wins, like I know I'm a generally better than average player than most players, but sometimes players just do things that you do not expect. Like you'll be surprised how many times i've caught off guard by uh, a player doing something that's completely illogical and unexpected but it's because like if you know how things are supposed to go and someone just does like a thing that is like not textbook you just get caught off guard for a little bit like i always uh, say also on my streams which is that like i'd rather play against the deck or like in your case like the opponent that plays the best stuff but the thing is this best stuff is common like Like, the common way of doing things is probably better than the unorthodox way. But I'd rather play against that because I understand it completely and I know how to find my best percentages versus, like, the best common thing. But, like, if I'm playing against the not-so-orthodox but also not-so-effective strategy, I will be a bit more concerned because, like, I have practiced against it a lot less or maybe even never. And because this surprise and unpredictability factor can... Catch me off guard and potentially steal some wins, which is very concerning because at the end of the day, you are always most confident when you can, when you know what you're up against, right? When you don't know what you're up against, There's this uncertainty and fear factor. And I think like when it comes to fear and uncertainty, it it impacts humans more than, uh, it it impacts your confidence. And when it impacts your confidence, you cannot play optimally as well. There's a a saying in the martial arts that sometimes a white
0: belt is the most dangerous person on the mat. And the reason why isn't because they're necessarily good or the best. It's because they don't know what they're doing. You have no idea what they will do. Correct. And if you are a professional, whether you know it or not, you have all of these patterns trained into you you expect people to come at you and do the right thing. If they do something crazy, it can throw you for a loop. I mean, here's an example. Okay. So in, in the martial arts, um, I was training with a guy one time who was way, way less experienced than me. He was quite new. I'm, I can't remember if I was a black belt at the time, but I'd been around for ages. Right. And I tried to do this move where basically I roll underneath him and grab his leg and try to trip him, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that someone is supposed to do when someone does this to you. If they try to get underneath you and attack your legs. That's not what this guy did. What he did was he squatted down and he farted in my face. Whoa. Now-
1: Was that actually a
0: fart? Like he literally did that? Dude, it was so vile that it basically stunned me and I abandoned the whole position. It's gross, but there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't fart on your opponent. But I just didn't expect that in a million years and it was devastating, right? So things like that can make a big difference. When someone zags and you expected them to zig, it can make a huge difference. And I think a challenge that pros get into is they're so focused on studying, okay, what works at the highest levels, what is everyone else doing and how can I be the best at that, that sometimes they forget there's benefit to training with and practicing with beginners because otherwise you forget
1: about that volatility. You forget how what craziness can happen in a real fight. I think for card games, I don't even know if this is an official term, but with my practice partners and my friends that play card games, you always use this term which is the base level when preparing for a tournament, we need to understand everybody's level one thinking. Level one thinking is just a the way things are done, like the base level, we need to know this to, when we prepare for a tournament. And then there's le- level two thinking. Level two thinking is basically how to beat the common strategy. And then there's even one more, which is level three thinking, which is how to beat the strategy that beats the common strategy. So you can go as many levels as you want. But like at the end of the day, when your opponent rocks up in front of you, and then like after you play a few rounds, you kind of need to like immediately identify what is their thinking level. Like if the person is using level 1 strategy only there's no real reason to go level 3 because you are countering nothing just go level 2 and beat them like of course there's no way to know for sure what is the like their exact level right because it's not an actual like physical measurement it's just like a thought process but you kind of just like basically need to know how skilled they are from like your first few like spas or like rounds with them and then based on that, you adapt in your later on your game winning plays to beat them.
0: Now, on that note, while we're talking about knowing what level they're operating at, something you've mentioned earlier in our chat and something that absolutely comes up both in card games and in the martial arts is the idea of knowing the meta. People in both Marvel Snap and in Jiu Jitsu are constantly talking about what's happening at the highest levels, what's the current meta. And one of the things that I love about your thinking, is, and you said this, I think just last night on stream is you don't try to just follow the meta. You try to define the meta. And I, I mean, for me, that has always been the appeal of any competitive endeavor. I like to do things that other people aren't doing. I like to be creative. Honestly, this probably works against me most of the time because I'm not as good at this stuff as you are, but I find it just way more fulfilling to challenge the norms and do something different. But tell me a little bit about what it means to you here. What is the
1: meta, so to speak? How do you chase it? And when should you be creative and defy it? The meta is basically just like what is popular, what is good right now, what is everybody playing. It's a few things. It's very rare that the most popular style or deck is not actually a good style or deck. It's very, very rare. So I'm just going to make the assumption that like the most popular thing right now is also the best thing. Um, It's the best for a reason because either it's just the most highest power output, it's the, they release some new cards and it's just the best thing right now that beats all the other old cards, the new style, a new skill. So long story short, it's the best for a reason and to challenge it, is to mean to create something better than that. So sometimes it's possible. I think people need to realize when I say I define the meta, I don't always make something new. I, I'm very often defining the meta, but I'm not always making something new. So what I do when I define the meta is once in a while, yes, I do make something new. But a lot of the time, I'm revisiting old concepts and thinking, all right, does this old concept beat this very popular new concept? If it doesn't, all right, back to the drawing board, try again. There have been times whereby I've tried all these things and I realized I just accept it. I just suck it up and say like, all right, this new concept that's super popular right now cannot currently be beat. So what do you do? You just join them and you play it better, right? Like there's two ways of looking at this. You do the best thing and popular thing better than everyone else or you find something new that beats the popular style. It's not always the case that you can like choose which one you want to do. Sometimes the popular style or that is just too good and you just have to accept that, all right, I just gotta be the champion of this by playing it better than everyone else. And I'm pretty sure there are ways to find ages there.
0: Yeah, that that very much
1: comes up in the
0: martial arts as well. What will often happen, and this is the exact same pattern as you see in card games, is you will see one competitor go and win at the highest levels using some novel strategy. And then one or two other people will duplicate it. And then before you know it, every gym in the country Uh is teaching that strategy, and it has now become the meta. And the thing about the the meta is that it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways, right? And it impacts itself. It's like a feedback loop Uh where if something is adopted... Because it's new and novel and it disrupts what everyone else is doing, it will become popular enough to the point where everyone else starts building encounters to that specific meta and that actually weakens the meta because now everyone's prepared for it and then a new strategy emerges. So a lot of the time what I found is it's not so much about what is quote unquote best but it is about what is best relative to what everyone else is ready for at that moment in time. I mean, Marvel Snap is a great example, right? Sometimes there's a balance patch and a bunch of cards that are still really good fall out of vogue, and people just stop using them. And if you start running those cards that other people haven't seen in a month or two, you can really catch people off guard. Same in jujitsu, right? If everyone else is using the exact same strategy, and you pull something out of the bag that people haven't really been using in a popular sense in 10 years, you have the advantage of using something that they just haven't trained for. Even if they're better at jiu-jitsu than you are, if they haven't been training that defense for your offense, you're going to come
1: in with an advantage. I think everything you say is absolutely correct. Uh, I'll need to add to that point because I think this is very important, especially for people that listen in from uh, my card game side as well, which is to be the best deck or the best player or the best at something it's not to only know how to do this thing now it's a, a lot about relevance you need to constantly be finding new answers to the ever-changing landscape like one of the reasons why i've constantly been ahead of the marvel snap meta is because i have never contented like i can last two weeks ago i made this deck that like was super meta defining but in that time i've always been trying to search for the answers to that deck and i've sort of found it again so Long story short, I think the reason why I declare and I think that I'm staying the best right now is because I'm never contented. I'm very hungry. I always want to improve, be better than my previous version of myself, previous version of the meta. And I think one thing that stops people's growth, which I'm very glad that has not stopped my growth, is people thinking they are good and not thinking there's a way to improve, that no one can ever beat them. I feel like I'm very contented when someone comes up to me with a concept, a theory, an idea that just whoops my ass and I'm just like, whoa, that was never something I thought of before. And I absorb it like a sponge and then I make it even better. So I think that's one of the biggest strengths of mine, which is I'm very willing to be a sponge. And use the free information you give me from whooping me to get better than you.
0: Yeah. In the martial arts, we sometimes call that investing in loss, the idea Mm -hmm. of reframing it so that when you do lose, you look at that as an investment in your future, right? It's an opportunity to learn and improve. It's a lot easier to improve when you're coming off of a loss because you've got really good feedback right there. When you win, especially if you just clean the floor with the other person, sometimes you don't really learn much about yourself. Yes. So, the losses are actually generally going to be your best opportunity to
1: get better. I think that when it comes to growth for me because like I entered Marvel Snap at a high level cuz I've had years of experience. So, I really value people that I talk to, matches, games like theories that I have never heard before. Like, I'm very willing to be proven wrong because I don't stay good or best at this game by always being correct. I only stay that way if I constantly absorb and get better because if you just think you have nothing else to learn anymore and just like think you are supposed to win every game, firstly, you put additional pressure on yourself because you set your expectations super high that you're, it's impossible for you to lose. That's how you start losing. And secondly, uh, people will just catch up to you because they are constantly trying to grow. So I really value insight and advice that I've never heard before. And to me, it's like I have like this base level where I know how to do things. But if you tell me something that adds on to my base level, I'm going to make it even better. Now, to what extent for an average person, do you think it makes sense
0: to chase the meta, so to speak, in the jujitsu landscape? people who have mid-level experience, meaning they've been doing this for a while, but Mm -hmm. not forever, they're often very concerned about what's happening in the meta. And a big part of getting better is studying that meta, making sure you understand it, making sure you duplicate that. Do you think that that's a good approach for the average person to learn and improve? Or is there a point at which that creativity becomes more important versus just kind of following instructions? I think everybody
1: starts out as a follower. In order to not be a follower, you need experience. But experience only comes over time. This is true. You can't fast track this. Like, you really need time to gain an experience. So, everybody starts out as a follower, has a model has an idol, has a style, has a someone, something that they follow, look up to, think is good, and then they copy. But the thing is, in order for you to be the one that people follow, you need firstly a few things, right? You need experience to make your own informed decisions. You need uh, results so people look at you as something like a pillar of like support, pillar of like growth, and like so that they can follow you and stuff like that. But to in, in order for you to reach that state where you turn from the follower into the being followed. You need to have experience. You need to have results as well. So I do think that everyone, including myself, needs to be a follower first and then have the goal of becoming someone to be followed. But this is not something you can rush and it's not something that You can just want to have just because you want it. You need to really work for it. And like I think the state that I'm in right now is that yes, I do and am in a position whereby people follow what I say and do, and like when I define the meta and stuff like that. But this didn't come for free. This doesn't come like just cause. Like I didn't magically just appear here. I feel like I was a follower for a long time as well. And even now, when there is a new concept that I don't understand, I will be a follower first and use my vast experience to adapt it into something that people follow instead.
0: And the thing too, that I've noticed about you is that even though you're often the leader and you're kind of defining the meta, you're also not afraid to adopt and pick up what works. I mean, I remember listening to you talk about when you were considering looking at a particular strategy in Marvel Snap, and I remember you were kind of humming and hawing about it. And you said, "Look, ultimately, the thing you found is no matter what you did, this one particular meta strategy was just putting more points on the board. It was just statistically better, no matter what you did, at running up the numbers and winning. And so ultimately, you wound up going with a modified version of that strategy rather than trying to build your own thing. So I think it's important that even at the leader level, like you said, you still got that humility to be a follower when it makes sense and to learn from other people who might have ideas that challenge yours and even beat yours sometimes.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, firstly, this doesn't mean that at the highest level, you should just accept everything because like sometimes things don't make sense to you but I believe that before you reject you have to first listen and then you think if it makes sense I think the good thing about being at the highest level of a discipline of a game of a sport is that you kind of know a little bit about how things work you actually know how things work so you can very effectively filter out your feedback like I'm very willing to accept feedback when it makes sense but I'm also very good at filtering out when it doesn't make sense so this has helped me like skyrocket my own personal growth as well because you just are very in tune with like what could work and what could not work. Sometimes you just need to be exposed to it. But with the moment you're exposed to it, you know that, all right, this works, this doesn't work. But like, yeah. So I think long story short is you really need to expose yourself to everything. But because of my experience, I'm able to filter it out really quickly so that I grow at the fastest possible rate when I pick up a point of information that is actually super beneficial. So like, let's say there are 10 things that are being brought to me. There is that one gold mine that I noticed straight away. And then the other nine are just probably noise. I filter out the noise and work very hard on the gold mine and then improve myself from there.
0: Yeah, that's a really important lesson. Uh, I remember learning that myself as well. Not all feedback is valuable feedback because the thing you have to understand is when people give you feedback, no matter how well-intentioned it is, they are giving you feedback based on what they see, mm-hmm. not based on what you're trying to do. They don't necessarily know your goals. They don't know what got you to the point that you're at now. They just see where you're at. They see where they want you to go and they tell you what they think without a lot of inside knowledge is going to get you there. So learning to filter out feedback is an important part of making good use of feedback. You always want to receive feedback, but the most important thing is to also know which feedback is worth actioning on. I think
1: the biggest thing that I have learned when it comes to receiving feedback uh, because I mentioned this a lot of times earlier like the whole sponge theory like I will just accept it all but I just really really know how to filter it and like I think it's very dangerous even if you filter out like unimportant feedback sometimes like I filter it out but I never really just completely not revisit it again because like we mentioned meta related stuff earlier right like uh, some feedback is not relevant now but If you completely discount it and never think about it ever again, when it becomes relevant, you may not be like in a position to realize that hey that thing from before now makes sense. I feel like one thing that I always do is I try my best to like absorb everything then I compact metalize but I don't actually like fully forget about it because I want to be in a position whereby if the new meta shifts or like something new comes up maybe this old idea that was brought to me now makes sense and I'm gonna like bring it into the light. That makes a a ton of sense like we were saying earlier things that
0: work don't necessarily work universally they work relative to counters yeah and whether people are ready for it so Sometimes things that didn't work three years ago are going to start working again, even if that technique hasn't necessarily changed. Maybe the environment around it has. An example in jujitsu, at the moment, a lot of the techniques that are very popular at the high levels, they would be considered old school techniques. They're things that people kind of moved away from, but people are going back now to what used to be done 10, 20 years ago. So it's kind of interesting to see, and it kind of gives you that perspective that things in the meta are not necessarily good or bad. They're effective relative to how prepared everyone else is for that thing.
1: Yeah, uh, I think good or bad is also 100% contextual. Like, a lot of the things that I do in Marvel Snap are good now. But people like to ask me, uh, because Marvel Snap is a acquisition game, so people actually use, like, real-life money to buy, like, credits sometimes or like cards so uh, one thing that they always like to ask me is like is this good now Uh, should I get this should I invest in this should I invest in that a bit like stocks and stuff like that for example all I can tell them is most of the time is it's gonna be good now because I'm doing it and I believe it's good but if you want to wait for like the price to drop or whatever and then get it later it could be irrelevant then because when it comes to giving advice in card games and snap giving advice about like the most informed decisions at this current point in time it's only really for this current point in time and like my advice doesn't always stand for the future. Like there can be this uh power of card that is insanely, absurdly horrible now. But like if the game developers change one thing, Like just one thing, it's gonna become amazing. So, I think all these kind of like best advice scenarios is contextual. It's very rarely evergreen, but yeah, that's why I'm working on like some content that could be actually evergreen, but like very rarely it is actually evergreen. Absolutely. Now, hey, something I wanna ask you this is
0: something that is definitely common to both card games and the martial arts tilt, right? A concept that is really originating from card games, the idea of that kind of psychological point where you're losing and you hit that downward spiral. You absolutely see this happen in sports um, and in jujitsu, of course, as an example, where people, once they're at a deficit, they just kind of crumble and they can't get back on track. Maybe talk a little bit about that. You know, when you hear people talking
1: about tilt or tilting, what does that mean to you and what do you do about it? Firstly, I think this tilting is very relevant in life in general. Like I've gone through. So many years of bad tilt management. Like fun fact, when I was playing tennis back in the day, I was actually I was someone with very bad uh, temper and anger management issues because I was a perfectionist. I always wanted to win. I wanted the best for myself, but I couldn't manage the downswings. swings. Like, I would go on like ballistic anger frenzies, and I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know why. So me being at the state I am right now, which is like I'm like a walking Zen model right now. Like, I don't get angry because uh, I figured out how to manage my emotions okay so it's not like i don't get angry it's just that uh, when it comes to tilt the most important thing is that i've learned how to control and like fight and like be in touch with myself when it comes to tilt is that you need to understand when it is happening or when it's about to happen how you do this for yourself i don't know but you need to find a way that you can identify that you're about to tilt. So for me personally, like typical examples of car game players when they tilt is that firstly, in a normal situation, you wouldn't be rushing your plays. But if you're on a losing streak, you start rushing your plays. You start making decisions that don't make any sense that you would never make on a normal basis. You start like verbalizing your anger. You start shouting or you start like making just in general bad decisions that on any given day you don't make. And you start like being a bit hypocritical. You start hoping that things get Better when you are doing it the same. Like all these little, little, little things, signs of tilt. From what I've experienced and what I've seen, you need to be able to identify when this is happening to you. Because, like, I mean, Ajo saying prevention is better than cure. If you are already in the state of tilting, it's very hard to escape. But if you can catch yourself before you go on the complete down spiral, then it's easier to save yourself. And I think most people at this point want to know how I do it for myself. So. I'm not going to exactly share what is like my exact way of like preventing myself from tilting because this is like a, it's like a trade secret for myself that I've been doing for years. But like there is always this thing that you should be doing, which is like unique to yourself. You need to find this way of returning to your control center. You need to find this way of like, all right, so I'm starting to play fast. I'm starting to make mistakes. I'm starting to make some decisions that you don't understand why you're making. So that's the sign of beginning to tilt. When you notice these things... You need to be able to tell yourself and find your control center again. You need to have a thing that you can do. I always use the inception example of you need to have this like totem where you can spin to know that you're still in reality. But it's not exactly that. Um, You need to be able to have this thing which you always do to let yourself be back in control. Because once you lose control of your emotions, everything goes crazy. So find the thing, at least for me, I have my thing. But you should find your own thing which lets you retain control of your emotions it could be anything it could be very simple some people go for a walk some people go get a get a drink of water some people just like breathe some people do push up sit ups. like do the thing that lets you feel you are still in control and most of the time your tilt will not be too drastic yeah
0: that's amazing advice i also like how you bring up the importance of it being personalized yes um, you know everyone has advice on how to meditate and calm down but I mean, look, being inside your own head is a very personal experience. Yep. It's going to be different for everybody, and you'll find something that works, right? And there's a great book uh, called The Art of Learning by Josh Waiteskin. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, in addition to being a competitive martial artist and a jujitsu black belt, He is also a chess master. Wow. Bit of crossover there too. And he talks about this quite a lot. He calls it building your triggers. Yes. And he gives some examples of understanding when something is happening that is making you tilt and having a ritual or routine that you can do that gets you back into the flow state. Um and so he wow. gives some examples of things that his opponents might do that tilt him like when they do unsportsmanlike things right normally that tilts him how can you reframe your psychology so that actually turns into a competitive advantage for you I mean I won't belabor the point I definitely recommend people check out the book but mm-hmm. it's something that I think is a very important practice for life because tilt like you said tilting is part of life It is it's always going to happen at work it's going to happen with your kids with your partner and identifying in yourself the symptoms of tilt and being proactive about it and having a way to get out of there, man, that is like life-changing advice if you can figure out a way to do that for yourself.
1: I have a way of doing this for card games specifically. I mean, I'm not like the best life coach in the world because I'm not, but like for card games specifically, I am very good at doing this for myself and it has won me and at least stopped me from losing in spots where I would have lost if I've tilted. Also, funny fact, like when you mentioned the book thing, I've never read nor heard of that book before, but like Everything that you say it's in that book is like literally what I've said. So maybe I should write a book. Huh. <laughs> I'd read it, man. Yeah. I would absolutely read it. Well, hey, on that
0: note, before we tie this up, any closing thoughts, Lambie? Anything that you wanted to talk about or bring up
1: that's useful that we didn't bring up so far? Okay, firstly, I just want to say I'm very appreciative that I got to do this with you because I am very in touch and very interested with the whole mental side of competing. I've competed in everything for years. And like to be able to have an outlet to talk about this where... It's rare that I get to do such in-depth, like deep dive into all these kind of topics. Plus, the questions you ask me really help me to like explain my thought process. So I'm really super appreciative for this. I would love to do more, but at the same time, I think I'm don't think there is anything else in particular that I would need to talk about right now. Except I feel when it comes to competing in general it's not well this probably was said a bit earlier but in like different parts but it's really not about doing something exceptionally different at the highest level because at the highest level everyone knows how to do the thing right because we've all practiced we've all learned we've all like spent like the last 10 years for this moment or whatever but like at the highest level it's really about keeping your mental in check because everyone does the same thing the one that wins is the one that does the same thing in the most pressured situations like you can realize oh okay i gotta add a point which is people tend to do weird things under pressure like under pressure some people get like because of the fear of losing right they take less risk they take too much risk they rush they don't rationally think about how to do certain things it's not that they don't know that they should be doing certain things like the highest level competitors all know what to do it's just whether you can do it under immense stress because stress is what screws you, like your mind. It screws your thought process. It screws your, uh, your your muscle memory because it's not actually ingrained inside you. Sometimes when things are looking bad, you tend to turtle and you tend to do things that like you would never do on a regular basis because of fear. And I think at the highest level, you are winning over another opponent if you fear less than them. If you can go out your daily operations more than them at the highest level, and that would probably put you on top. So yeah, I think that's about it. That's all I want to add. Thanks, man. Beautifully said. Now, if
0: people want to follow you, contact you, get general strategic coaching from you. I
1: know that that's something you offer. Where can they go about doing that? Right. So when it comes to coaching about like card games, mental prep or whatever, you can DM me on Discord at Lambi Series or you can DM me on Twitter at Lemby series gg Uh if you're playing Marvel Snap as well on Lambi Series GG on Twitter, you can have all the best insights that I will tweet out very often. And also, I think more importantly, if you guys want to like just like put a face to the name, a name to the face, you can watch me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lambi series TV. I stream about four times a week, EST eleven thirty a.m. most of the time. So basically, uh yeah, graveyard shift for me, but I'm used to it. <laughs> Yeah, so um, last but not least, I have a new YouTube channel at Lambie Series Gaming. It's very Marvel Snap specific content, but like if you were to just like not understand Marvel Snap and like listen to me while you're making dinner or whatever, you will realize that some of the things I talk about are very similar to the stuff that I talk about like here right now. But no, that one is really very Marvel Snap specific. But if you would just want uh, to check it out and drop me a sub, that will be great. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Lambie. As I always do, I will put all of those links in the show notes. So if people want to get in touch with Lambie, links are there. Just pop open your podcast player, hit info or description or whatever it is, and you go to the show notes and there will just be a link there. I'll also put a link to everything we make. I think everyone knows, but in case you don't, bjj mental models.com is the home for everything we do Um, approaching 250 episodes of this thing now all of them intended to be timeless evergreen talks on martial arts strategy concepts tactics philosophy it's all there for you and it's all completely free you can also sign up for our amazing newsletter there i really recommend everyone get on there because we've got some great thought pieces and other things that we send out there as well as uh, show notes for every episode definitely worth the read And beyond that, of course, that's also where you can sign up for our premium service bjj mental models premium i know i talk about it all the time but i'm telling you if you haven't signed up i definitely recommend checking it out there's a free trial so that you can do it at no cost it is literally your best opportunity to get access to an entire library of concepts and courses from some of the best minds in the sport plus direct coaching from world champion black belts no joke plus access to our awesome community and again first week is free so you can try it at no no risk it's getting close to a. Uh, Q4 here of 2023 as of this recording people are coming back from the holidays I know that jiu-jitsu people get lazy in the summer and so you're probably all coming back and you've got goals please if you haven't already go to bjjmentalmodels.com check out all of that stuff there, especially premium pretty sure it's going to help you hit those goals by the end of the year but Lambie thanks a lot man as always greatly appreciated I love this chat. This was a bucket list one for me because (laughs) as I think everyone in our community knows, I am absolutely obsessed with this silly card game. So thanks so much for coming by and having the strategy talk. I think it's going to help a lot of people in both of our respective sports.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really great for me as well. I'm excited to listen to this uh, when it comes out. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Thanks, man. And thanks to all of the listeners too. truly appreciate your time and attention as well. Thanks. Talk to you next time. Take care.